Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the DXM podcast. I am the host, Colborne Bell. I am joined today by scholar and art writer, Charlotte Kent. Hello. Hello. It's a pleasure to be here. How are you doing today? Um, I'm all right. It's already been quite a morning for me. I've been up since four, and um, so, you know, half of a work day already done. That's impressive. Yeah, <laughs> I got up about 10 minutes ago. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Um, let's start where we always start, which is just, we're going to give you space to let everybody find out about yourself, um, anything you want to share. Uh, so please, uh, it's yours. Oh boy. Um, that's always a funny one. So I guess, I mean, thinking that the audience might want to know a little bit about where I'm coming from as regards blockchain is one thing, but then there's me. Um, so I don't know, I'll probably go in and out of both <laughs> because they're entangled. Um, I first really started thinking seriously about blockchain in 2019. Um, I had met uh, Judy Mam and Beatrice Ramos and had interviewed them to find out more about Dada and then wound up at the Radical Exchange uh, Foundation Conference and saw Simon de la Rouvier's project, This Artwork is Always on Sale, and was just really struck by the fact that blockchain seemed to be producing really cool creative projects that didn't seem to be talked about. Um, mm -hmm. I then discovered that one of the reasons they weren't really being written about much was because people were so confused by the technology that um, like when I tried to pitch articles about it, it didn't really work because by the time you explained what the technology was, there wasn't a whole lot of time to talk about the art project itself. Yeah. Um, and so it just became this sort of side interest of mine as I was continuing to um, teach and write about digital culture. So I was doing work on extended reality. Like I was looking at abstraction in virtual reality. Like what is virtual reality if the space is abstract? So one of the things is that I tend to go to places that are a little weird and people often say like, why, why would you think about abstraction in VR or hmm. these kinds of things because uh, I'm weird, I guess. Um, <laughs> there must be a better answer. <laughs> um, I like I like it when artists are exploring things that are difficult and confusing. Um, one of the things that's great about art is that it visualizes complex concepts. Hmm. Um, I remember someone who was studying art history once said to me that they loved art history because it made um the world into pictures and like how we had arrived at where we were into mm. this like series of pictures that they could look at and think about and then remember what had happened um and i think that that's kind of true so when you're looking or when i'm looking at contemporary art um it's a way of helping me understand the world that i'm in um and why maybe i feel stressed out by it or am excited by it um it's a way sometimes to test out options like artists are really good at what if scenarios yeah. and so they can do cool projects around that um and i think blockchain really encourages that and i think that's one of the reasons why um you know i became and continued to be interested in it even when no one was like gonna let me write about it i just kept following it and then when the conversation 
really exploded in spring 2021, I got just kind of irritated at the focus on finance because uh, though obviously that's important and I'm a big believer in the fact that artists should make money and even lots of money, more money than other people by all means, right? Like I think they're really important contributors to society um, and that that is actually typically undervalued. But um, even though blockchain was designed as a sort of economic uh, technology, as a technology, as it develops, as it continues to develop, it keeps presenting other things. And I think artists are good at showing us that. Okay. Where do we go from here? There's a million, million different places we can go. Um, first off, like this is something we've always connected on, right? These weird fringe places of this movement. Uh, I very much agree. This is not by necessity an economic technology. Uh, everybody, of course, gets so into the speculation aspect of it, but we are, I think, literally inventing new structures of society kind of based on the internet instead of like the physical as the uh, perhaps like primary matter in which we are all, you know, organizing and collecting and and how do you create culture of the internet? How do you create value of the internet? Um, how do you create trustless relationships between pseudonymous identities? These are all things that are uh, possible with, with blockchain. So it is much more of just a, uh, I see it both as an economic and social fabric in which really anybody can bring experimental philosophies, experimental ideals, and back to kind of like artists' willingness to to go there, there is not such a mm, perhaps rigid uh, way for things to be. So I think they, they do feel more free and I think it encourages experimentation. Well, and it's crazy to think that an economic system wouldn't have been conceived as being socio-political. I mean, <laughs> what what is economics, but like the way in which people choose to transact yes but that means interact right and yeah. what does that mean but a whole set of social values and ways of imagining social gathering that's politics right and so yeah. um because of that kind of organizational stuff and because i started having feeling compelled because some of the artists do such incredible work at helping us understand the technology, right? Like these projects where they're really sort of digging up how things work. Um, I started having to look at time and mm. the temporal ordering that blockchain is producing, which is totally new. Um, so, you know, some of that came from the fact that there's this weird time language in blockchain where people talk about, you know, like, ancient history being 2017, mm -hmm. <laughs> which was five years ago. Yeah, so yeah. for someone who's uh, in a former art history program, that's really funny. Um, and then, you know, there's also all this conversation about the future, right? That's always coming up. And there's this kind of futurism and like thinking about the possibilities that will come next. Um, there's anxieties about the future too, like, yeah. you know, so, that just got me thinking about time and well, you know how how blockchain felt like it was producing this new time frame and it felt really accelerationist right the sense mm. of like exhaustion that so many people have felt over the last year um 
the rise of activities, the meetings, the online and stuff, the sort of constant drops, the highs and lows, um, time just feeling like there's never enough time. And, um, and so there's sort of confusion and collapse of time. And then at mm. the same, at the same time that had been happening in part because of pandemic. Right. And yeah. so there was this kind of just like extreme reordering of time. And then I was trying to understand, you know, like time stamping and some of all this stuff when I realized that so blockchain itself doesn't use isn't inherently a digital isn't inherently a digital time it is actually literally a new form of time right so unix time is this thing that sort of gets established in 1970 and produces a whole new temporal order it makes digital time possible right, right? and digital time is something that i've spent a lot of time <laughs> and I spent a lot of time thinking about it. <laughs> um, and I've written about it. And I think, you know, it, it's a part of why we have felt kind of atomized and alienated. That is not the fault of digital time. It's just a part of the like structure of feeling that digital time expresses, right? And that mm. when we don't pay attention to how these things come to be and the types of effects that they have on society, we can't also build in systems to help balance them out. Right. So once I started thinking about how blockchain is this new temporal order and it's this chain time and the time, the unit of time is the block. Mm. Right. But then starting to think about like this urge to finality and some of these other sort of temporal things that are going on in blockchain, I realized I don't want in 50 years to be in relationship to blockchain and in the same way that I am in relationship to digital time, where 50 years of the production mm. of digital time created a type of social structure that is incredibly difficult now to respond against, mm. right? Blockchain is filled with people who are incredibly creative thinkers, who are thinking about the technology. There's a lot of conversation happening around it. We have a chance to look really carefully at what this technology is building, not only in terms of like, economic structures and so forth, but these sort of social things that happen because of time and ask ourselves, okay, if that's happening, like what else do we want to put into place? What else do we want to do? How can we balance that? Like what is good about this? Where do we want to sort of resist that? Right. Um, and yeah, so I guess that's sort of where I'm at with <laughs> thinking about blockchain. I mean, the question of time is really difficult for me as, as like I've been in this space what, almost six years uh, and the time ultimately feels vaporized. It really does feel just like this, like a total, total blur because you can literally have almost as much of it as you want, as you're willing to handle. Totally, totally unhealthy. Um, it and I, you know, you see it all across. You see like leaders of DeFi just being so burned out. They, they can't put up with it. DeFi was its own animal. Um, you know, the ICO thing, all of the investments, that was definitely its own thing. The art, thankfully, is a little bit slower, but you saw it with the artists in this big bull run, like a compulsion to just mint everything, like a compulsion to not create your best work and i think it's something that that we are are fighting against really much because it's hacking into like the the comparative 
biases that, that we have to look at other people, to make judgments about what they're doing, how we should, you know, be performing. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, burnout is a real psychological condition. Um, or I guess I shouldn't say it's a condition. It's a set of uh, uh, symptoms that then get sort of pulled together and called burnout. And the attributes besides exhaustion are depersonalization, mm. right? And cynicism. Mm. And those are like real social things that then happen and start to create tension between people, right? I mean, it's if we think about what happens as people get depersonalized, as people become increasingly cynical, right? There's a loss of hope. There's a loss mm. of belief in the ability to make things better or to change things. I mean, how can that possibly be good for um clearly really important new technological system that's a part of our, that's going to remain a part of our world right like however it is that it turns out you know nfts might just be one part of it because permissioned blockchains clearly have huge forms of utility across multiple different industries blockchain is here to stay but yeah. if these are the attitudes that come alongside of it we're, i think we're in danger so I'm fighting that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, and I think I actually, it's, in my opinion, is really the only people that can show us the dangers of that are the artists. Exactly. Right? Yeah, the only people that can really express that because we know all of these, these finance types, all of these very like type A, uh, ego driven, like must conquer, whatever like this, this capitalism hath brought, all of these people like coming in and um, it really is, up to the artist, in my opinion, to show us perspective. And I think they're doing that. I mean, that's one of the things that's really interesting about all of these different projects that have been happening around time, right? That, ha mm. that are literally playing with different temporal orders, right? So you see them recalling forms of time, you know, from body time to lunar time to, you know, seasonal time to you know, uh, to celestial, to, you know, and I think all of these different invocations of these different temporal orders that artists are putting into their projects using blockchain are for me a really interesting reminder of the fact that we live layered time, right? Yeah. Like in different contexts, we're experiencing time in different ways. And I think, you know, trying to think about it that way as this kind of layering is really helpful because... Yeah. Th then maybe there's a way of sort of recognizing when you're choosing one temporal order over another, right? Mm. And making and if you recognize that you have a choice there, then you have a choice on how you want to behave, how you want to interact, how you want to pull back, how you want to push forward. Uh, Should we shout out some of those artists and projects? <laughs> yeah, I'd love to. Um, so, I mean, I have to be honest and say, um, really, this all started for me with Anna Riddler. Mm. Um, just because I had been interested both in the way she was looking at things historically and sort of drawing historical comparisons, so how this moment is like a previous moment. Mm. But then also, um, I remember one of her projects, the way the tulips, uh, the NFT would, you know, would die after seven days. Yeah. And so this idea of like closures happening, the way artists were introducing um, the end of the project unless you pass it on, right? Mm -hmm. So like, um, you know, life forms is another project. Like you have to pass it on within three months. Um, yes, sorry. Yeah. And so 
th- that was kind of what got was like one part of it. And then I got a chance to talk to her and um, she just kind of just started talking and I was like, wow, did not even begin to think of it in all those ways. And that, you know, Mm. that's why I love talking to artists because they've spent so much time with whatever they're working on. And so because of that, I started noticing other things. So like Lauren Lee McCarthy's Good Night Project is super cool to me because basically the NFT is um, the contractual agreement that every night before she goes to sleep, she will message you good night. And it's such a beautiful reminder for me of the fact that like, yes, you know, here's blockchain and here's NFTs, but also, Hey, here we are over here in the world where we have this like really loose experience of, you know, of going to sleep and like it's not exactly at this one single minute every day and you know um and that there's this connection that can happen it's a really intimate thing to say good night to someone so i really appreciated that and then i had been um i'd gotten a chance to interview luna kuda about her project and that got me thinking about like how lunar scapes were appearing and of course uh, matt kane's gazers becomes hugely influential here the way he noticed the fact that these major events in his life had happened around new moons and producing this whole project around that and as it continues to evolve right and so then noticing how many projects evolve Right. And why is it so important right now that so many artists are producing these like evolving or even multi-generational projects? Right. That's clearly something that's like a vibe and has been for a while. And yeah, in my opinion, it feels almost reactionary to like PFP projects, the idea of something like static that does not change, that you remain a part of forever, that is supposed to like continue to like remain core to your identity somehow or your online identity that's supposed to continue to capture. And I think very few people have done that, like have captured digital identity into one image. I'm always obsessed with like the idea of changing. And I've always from the beginning thought this space was about like rapid change and not kind of like static groupings. So I, you know, I'm right there with you. I love the work Alexander Revin did, I think he was the first to create like in, in an infinity NFT, um, which are just like NFTs that would go forever. And you could only, as long as you could look at them is how long like the artwork would exist. Mm-hmm. And the next time you reload it, it starts at the beginning. Um, so yeah, stuff like that. I always found very, very conceptually interesting. Yeah. It's just, and it- it's, I think it's also a way of sort of countering some of the sort of misbegotten ideas around immutability, mm. right? I think the rhetoric around immutable creates a sort of um, ideology of no change. Um, mm. And that's the, obviously we, that's problematic. Um, it creates a kind of crisis thinking. Um, yeah. And so... I think it's also important to recognize you know, how they're pr- introducing this flexibility. Um, and time is really political. And so, you know, mm. how time is structured is 
has like really complicated political histories in terms of like with Greenwich Mean Time, it was these, you know, colonial empires that just sort of determined what the time zones were going to be around the world in 1884. And then just, that was it. That was just like how it was going to be. Um, you know, they sent clocks to the colonies to enforce uh, certain um, as a part, like with with um, missionaries, as a part of trying to organize what they saw as the natives into their notion of a civilized society, which had to do with mechanical clocks and being on time, right? Yeah. So these values have histories, and um, I think what's interesting about the artists in blockchain is the way they're complicating that. Um, it's it's really remarkable. And I mean, one of the, I should just say like, you know, a shout out to one other uh, project, which is um, this group nascent uh, did this project called Tep Temporal Secessionism, um, where they, the project really aims to show um, block time. So if if this is like a really hard thing to conceive of, which for me it is, like looking at that project really helps. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that's the other part of it. Like, I don't think I could have understand blockchain at all if it weren't for projects like Martin Ostachowski, if it weren't for yeah. projects like Rare Myers, if it weren't for like, yeah. you know, some of these types of projects, I really broke it down for me. Um, uh, I just, that's where the arts are really important. And um, I wish, you know, I guess one of the things when I'm thinking about this and when I'm thinking about why am I still writing about this, which I get asked pretty frequently, <laughs> um, it has to do with the fact that I believe the best way to understand what is happening is through these arts, mm. right? This is a cutting edge technology and artists who are using it are at the avant-garde. Yeah. Um, and so if we have any hope of participating in what's to come, this is our way of understanding it. And um, I guess I feel an obligation to be a part of that. Where I land is, you know, I feel that uh, blockchain will be a more or perhaps larger fundamental technology to the world than say something like the internet. Uh, and I think all of the early promise of the internet and what it could be was uh, corrupted, right? And now we and have ended up in with these like tech oligarchies that treat people like products that are mining data incessantly, um, that know probably way more about you than you could ever yourself. Uh, you know, the I think the big selling points of you know, NFTs was like a, a return to ownership. Um, and, and that like you could determine your identity through these objects and what you participated in. And, um, and I think that also perhaps got perverted, but, you know, it, it does come down to, you know, giving more people like their independence to like question the nature of our sovereignty in these systems um, and what these systems are kind of like doing and, and the effects that they're having. You know, 
what you just said made me realize like you've gotten the chance to travel around the world and meet with so many different communities producing nfts um i'm still really hoping to do that and i think it's really important do you find different attitudes towards nfts in different places you go like oh, are there go ahead <laughs> yeah i mean like you know the scariest thing for me was of course going to los angeles right <laughs> and That's amazing. It, you know and like going and like listening to hollywood producers i mean yeah i mean people would like corner me Oh. And, you know, and they were like, we just released this. Like, I need you to tell us like what the next step is because our, you know, we just made like $20 million and we're doing like a storytelling thing in the metaverse. I'm like, this all sounds terrible. <laughs> like <laughs> you have no idea what you're doing. Like you put some JPEGs out there, you attach some celebrities name to it. And then like the proximity of, you know, the VCs to Hollywood how tightly in Andreessen was with like the movie studios, all of these things that they're trying to like spin up and manufacture uh, as either like new brands or new IP or like nobody understood the thing before they jumped in. They had no idea what they were doing. They just knew there was something to be grabbed. So they grabbed it. Yeah. Um, and that was really scary, especially in contrast to a place like Lisbon. Um, or, you know, so many of these conferences are, you know, <laughs> like the people who sponsor the conference are the people on stage, right? And that's how the organizers make their money is through the sponsorships. And then they just sell tickets for pure profit. So it never really matters if there's anybody in the audience. Hmm. It's really just the same people that want like the marketing thing of saying that they were there and the speech recorded so that they could say they were there, but the audience is empty. So, so how is that new? That sounds exactly like the old way of doing things. Well, 100%. And that's the problem, right? Is everybody just imported all these old models of what they knew how to do and just brought it into a space that had so much promise. Hmm. And if it couldn't like fundamentally break us out of like our collective habits, um, then I think it's a colossal failure. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, look, I'm looking, for, I'm looking for like big revolution and change, you know, that's like all, all I've ever cared about. Uh, and, you know, my career has wound from like finance to social impacts to, to arts. Like I see art as having the biggest effect to carry the largest message to almost like trick people into having an awakening or understanding. Um, of problems and concepts that either, you know, they don't want to deal with or they feel might be too big for them to deal with as individuals, uh, but they're not. Where are some of the interesting ideas coming from, from your perspective? I mean, lately? Yeah. Yikes. I don't know. You know, I think what's happening is that the people who were early that felt a bit run over by all of these like larger forces are beginning to organize and the, the good people are beginning to find each other. And I think that is incredibly powerful and promising. I guess one question I have about that is, um, and I, and I should implicate myself here, right? Like, you know, I know mostly a group of people who are in the United States 
or in Europe, and even quite honestly, probably a pretty small sector of Europe, right? Um, I've been thinking a lot about how to break out of that. And, you know, um, I want to go to this conference in Mexico City. And I'm trying, you know, I was disappointed I couldn't go to Korea to CF because I wanted to see if there was going to, you know, what would be there. Um, Do you see that the, the people who are part of this movement from the beginning, do you see them having like more branches out around the world to be able to connect with other parts because it feels like there's a kind of centralizing happening to the same old Northern hemisphere mm, thing. No, I think there's very much like a local global thing happening. Right. I've, I've spent, I mean, one, there's an incredible scene in New York city, right. And I just find fascinating creatives from all over New York always will pull different types of people from all sorts of different places uh, new perspectives, but of course there is like inherent in that a generally a massive privilege that gets tied to being in New York City and living in New York City. And um, but I've also you know maintained like a two year relationship now with the artist in crypto Argentina. Well, I was going to say I first met you at a crypto Argentina show, and that was my first discovery of that whole that group and that movement. Yeah. And, and I think that is really just showing us all into kind of our inevitable future, right? Because I do not believe that like the way governments are structured is sustainable, right? We have to find a new way to exist outside of like the nation state. Um, and I think that's what a lot of this is about. Um, and I think Argentina and those artists have like the, the insights on, on how to be. And that's why I think they're creating some of like the most creative, interesting, like forward thinking work because they've already suffered what feels like the inevitable crisis that we're all headed towards. I mean, I think one of the things that's interesting when we talk about, you know, the dissolution of the nation state as a model that was only really constructed a couple hundred years ago anyway, right? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Is anxieties that what we're looking at instead are corporate states, right? That there's these sort of transnational companies that already have so much power, some of them far more power than any number of nation states, right? More money, more power, more ability to influence, um, and that, that doesn't seem like a great alternative either. Right? <laughs> Speaking of data privacy. <laughs> right. Um, so it's, I guess I, you know, one of the things that I get a little concerned about when there's this sort of utopian, um, hope for blockchain is that I think the same thing happened with net art in the nineties, right? Yeah. I was recently relooking, uh, relooking, rereading uh, Lawrence Lessig's article code is law from Harvard law magazine. It was published in the year 2000. Yeah. Right? yeah. And he is warning people about the fact that um, code is still being written by people. And so 
no reg like to to get rid of government regulation isn't to get rid of regulation but to get rid of a particular type of regulation and to ignore another set of rules and values that get produced by the people who are now in charge which he's describing as the coders right and yeah. he predicts in that article basically exactly what we have been talking about for the last decade in terms of what happened with web 2 as it were sure so you know what are some of the ways i mean i guess this is one of the things i could start looking at like what are some of the you know ways that artists maybe since like that's something we have in common can show us or regulate or show something that isn't the let's get rid of everything because yeah. you get rid of everything you still have some things that aren't great I mean, something that I was talking about earlier this week with with Kyle McDonald was the way in which like value and wealth is moving to people well with new values, right? So let's say like this this wealth transfer to people with new values. So whether it was you know the initial rise of web and all of these young kids kind of you know making a lot of money fast and bringing these values uh, new values to the world, uh, what does that mean in the sense of blockchain and I'm equally curious, like, what does that mean with the sense, in the sense of like the artists who were financially successful? How are they like using this to, you know, showcase in their values? Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, for many of them, it was, you know, an unheard of amount of money. I saw like a lot of people buying, you know, like chains or like cars or um, perhaps like falling into, you know, maybe what they might have been conditioned to think they should see or be from Instagram or, again, in like this comparative analysis society. Um, so, you know, maybe that's what crypto is. Maybe it's about like Lambos and to the moon and all of this like excessive quick wealth. And, you know, I came on this journey hoping to find something more. Um, I mean, that's where some of the social impact stuff really matters, right? The way some yeah. of the platforms, some of the artists automate, and we know how that that's not always perfect, but like automate a percentage to various different organizations, right? right? To ensure that support so that the project itself doesn't just support them and their team or whomever, but also some group that can really go into society and help make things better. I mean, Kyle McDonald is a perfect example of that, right? Yes. With his most recent project, Amends. Um, right. So, you know, I guess that's an interesting way to think about it. I. But that's one in a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that is that is certainly not the norm. I would say. Um, I thought what Dmitry Cherniak did. I think he donated something like two million dollars to the New York City Food Bank. Was mm -hmm. was incredible. I think there are artists that are thinking about it in the right way, but more, I'm more interested uh, in what that individual does themselves as opposed to what they give, right? It's kind of going back to time um, mm -hmm. and yeah. It's funny though, because I totally agree with you. And then I immediately get nervous because there is a part of me that wants to separate the artist from the art, right? Yes. There are sure. really a lot of 
works out there that I like. And then sometimes I'll see the tweets that the artist is putting out and just kind of want to bash my head into a wall. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, why? Why would you say that? That's so annoying. Or why are yeah. you not talking about it? You know, um, and and I, I don't have a good answer for that one. Like that one's something I'm just super torn about because. I, I, I treat nothing that I read online as real. <laughs> you know like i don't actually believe that like nothing that i post on twitter i think really in any way shape or form encapsulates actually what i am right and this was like the big thing of web too like there is a massive dissonance between what we put out and how we portray as opposed to like web 3 which was a promise that we could be more of like our true authentic selves even if we did not give ourselves like the same name or the same like visual identity. I mean, but that speaks to the fact that, you know, this notion of a digital twin or something, I, it seems to me like it has to be even more than that, right? Like I'm a big believer in um, the performance of the self, right? That we are actually kind of different people in different contexts and that that's okay and even totally appropriate right. um and that likewise you know that should be able to be true um online and it's actually one of the reasons i'll say i'm most nervous in the metaverse conversations mm. when people talk about somehow you will have this like singular digital identity that will be like this one you that takes goes everywhere you go and i'm sort of sitting there going raw that sounds terrible like there's a reason i want to be able to speak differently and be, mm. you know, have a different set of references depending on what I'm, where I am online. Mm. Um, so I actually feel like the multiplicity of selves um, is, you know, sometimes difficult to juggle. Like I'm not going to say that it's always easy for everyone, right? But, um, but that maybe that's been true for us socially for a while anyway. I, I've been having this conversation a lot also of like how the world is, you know, it was presumed perhaps, I don't know, 50 years ago that you had static identity, right? That you were kind of like a, you were chronological, you were a list of your accomplishments uh, and that embodied like the whole person that you were. Uh, it feels now that we've moved into something that is much more fluid, right? People are given the freedom to, kind of explore, express, you're kind of expected to not stay at a company forever, move around, find new things. And, you know, again, it's especially in digital and online spaces, people have been given the freedom or perceived freedom to explore more facets of themselves, uh, which I think is Im important feels important, but it, I, for many, I think it is certainly confusing. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you said like 50 years ago because um, about 50 years ago, Evan Goffman wrote this book, The Performance of Everyday Life. Um, right. And it's always interesting how like texts often come out, you know, not like at a moment when it's like, oh, people are starting to think about this, right? Like it's, it's not to mark that that's always been true, but more like how now people are starting to think about themselves as these performative creatures in different mm. contexts. Um, and I think some of that had to do with, you know, 
like having a job, you know, having the corporate job, but then being able to like go home and, you know, be a, also be a civil rights activist, right? And that the mm -hmm. sort of like working for the man and being a civil rights advocate with these two different parts of yourself or something. Um, and I guess it's, you know, it seems really important to recognize how we can be varied, but more so because of the possibility of change. So mm -hmm. I got a chance to talk to Ian Chang recently, who just did this project Three Face. And I feel like there's a bunch of different projects going on right now that are also sort of about, you know, that are that are taking the information in your digital wallet or the information from some part of you to then sort of track how you um how you participate in the digital space or how, you know who you represent yourself to be and it's this kind of interesting also moment of like reflection around that like so in ian chang's project basically he pulls a bunch of information from uh the nfts you've collected mm -hmm. um to create this face of who you are as a collector and what's interesting is if you move the NFT to different wallets, the face will change. So you can sort of see how your different wallets reflect different use. Yeah. Uh, it's, and that to me says something about the fact that like, that's something people want. Like they want to be able to better understand who they are in this kind of like meta analysis way like when when you mm. i'm you know because i write about nfts like i'm not really a collector though i have some and i'm so grateful for them but um it's i think it must be stunning to look at your collection and sort of like how can you like you're you right like how do you begin to think about like what your collector face is and then given some of the studies recently about you know some of the problems in like collecting, you know, the NFT collector, you know, sort of reiterating some th some of the worst of the, you know, mainstream art world in terms yeah. of who gets collected and who gets valued and so forth. Um, you know, I think that that's really, it, potentially that's an opportunity to try and push that a little bit further because we're definitely seeing in the NFT space a reiteration of aesthetic values that are tied to problematic obviously systemic beliefs um, and they're so deeply entrenched it is hard to break them down um, it is hard to overcome them except with really conscious intentional effort that, which maybe some of these projects can do yeah i, I it, it again it goes back to just that frenzy I mean, when I was, <laughs> you know, when I started collecting, there, there was no competition, but I still wanted, you know, just as much as possible, like all the things I loved, I wanted. Um, and I've kind of like made a commitment to myself now, like not to collect anymore until I can like reconcile and think about what I've done, where all of this work fits into the part of me that was attracted to it. What does that mean? What does that say um, at that time? Uh, because it's, you know, it's thousands of pieces of art. <laughs> it's kind of incredible <laughs> how much you collected. It's, it's pretty, and, but, and I but I mean, yeah. I've, been, I've, been, I've always been curious about this. So like, were you 
actively collecting every single day, like all day long? Like literally, how did you manage to collect so much? Well, I'm a very obsessive person. <laughs> when I find something that I like and I enjoy, I don't stop. Okay. Right. And I know that about myself. I get like very hyper obsessed into like the thing, the, the one thing that I have to know and I have to understand. And um, there was something so incredibly interesting to me about that art object, that digital art object and what it spoke to for like promise and potential and individuality and the relationship between people. So many, it, it was very much tied to COVID. It was like me being, you know, I had been effectively like alone in the woods for three years, you know? I was like coming out of New York City. I was, you know, again, like taking a step back and thinking about what that experience meant. Um, because it's very hard, of course, to be intentional always about the thing that you're doing when you're doing it, right? Mm -hmm. So the beauty of crypto, of course, is that it does give you these bear market cycles to like breathe and reassess and figure how you do things differently. So final words are yours. Oh, I guess my final thought is if you really believe that blockchain is going to last, then take a break. It's okay. It'll still be there tomorrow or next week. That's dope. <laughs> uh, let everybody know where they can find you as well. And if they oh. want to connect, how to, yeah. Yeah, by all means. Um, so on Twitter, I'm Lucy2Scribbles. On Instagram, I'm Lucy Scribbles. Um, and my website is secant.art and anyone can email me through there. Um, I'm always happy to have conversations about ideas and projects and uh, what's developing next. Cool. And in real life, you are Professor oh. Charlotte Kent. In real life, as if this isn't real. Come on. Um, so in my incredibly tangible reality, I uh, commute out to Montclair State University from Brooklyn. Uh, the university is in New Jersey. And I teach visual culture. Um, and I have a cat. And I like being home. And I don't think being able to talk to people online is such a bad thing. <laughs> also dope. Um, all right. I'm Colborn Bell. This is the Minty Mocha Podcast. Uh, many thanks. And we will see everybody next week. Bye. Breaking news. <laughs>